Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 304. Um, I want to just do a nerdy deep dive into college football today. I've probably spent way too much time researching this episode and doing... Oh my gosh, I feel like this episode's taking forever. <laughs> and I, I guess that's kind of what the show is. It's just me getting nerdy about stuff I care about. Um, but I, I guess I really don't want to waste any more time. I want to just jump into what I've been working for days and days trying to uh, put to words and kind of put to uh, really answering some questions I've been having a lot as I watch college football. So I recently went into a you know somewhat of a deep rabbit hole watching the BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson. And I wanted to know whether or not I thought he was a first-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. And I felt like if I was going to develop an opinion one way or another, I, I wanted to do some research because I wanted to feel very, very confident with what I was saying. And so I do feel very confident saying that Zach Wilson is absolutely going to be a first-round pick in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. He's a really good quarterback. Uh, so, so far I count Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and then Zach Wilson will be coming off the board uh, in April, whenever the NFL draft does happen, depending on COVID and yada yada. And I would take Zach Wilson over the North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance. Uh, Trey Lance is a whole nother can of worms. I keep avoiding diving into that and explaining my opinion on Trey Lance. Um, but I will say I am much lower on Trey Lance than I think a lot of other people are. I keep seeing rankings and a lot of stuff, and I go, Trey Lance, I don't, I don't really have Trey Lance where I think a lot of other people do. But again, I don't want to dive into that. I, I, I want to talk about Zach Wilson. So as we look ahead to the 2021 NFL Draft, there is going to be a lot of teams that feel like they need a quarterback and that they want a quarterback. And that combined with the fact that Zach Wilson has put really, really good stuff on tape is why I think he's going to be a first-round pick. And Zach Wilson, to be honest, is my personal favorite quarterback to watch right now in college football. His style is so much fun. He can move around. He can extend plays. He's got tremendous feel for bodies around him in the pocket. He's got great mechanics. He's very accurate. He plays a very clean style of football, one that I think is enjoyable uh, and results in very few negative plays. And Zach Wilson has also mastered his offense at BYU. It's really incredible to watch. Him and his receivers have such great chemistry. You know, Zach, Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney. They are all 100% in sync with each other, and that leads to a lot of really, really entertaining football. I mean, I'm talking about back shoulder fades and jump balls and scramble drills where Zach will roll out right or left, and a receiver will come back for the ball and make a cool catch along the sideline. And then it's also worth noting that Zach Wilson is very, very comfortable playing under center. You know, you see a lot of college quarterbacks come out as they go to the NFL. They've only been in shotgun, catching a snap, you know, five yards behind the center, for their entire college career. And Zach Wilson is not one of those guys. He's been under center a lot. He's really comfortable doing play action and uh, running a lot of NFL-style plays and style schemes. And then, you know, I, I want to double down about something. I think that Zach Wilson is the absolutely best in college football at navigating the pocket. He's really, really great at handling a messy pocket with bodies around him. Uh, and then also, in a very similar style to Russell Wilson, he's really good at sliding and avoiding taking big hits. And that's also really important to have a long, you know, having longevity, I guess, in your career in the NFL is you want to avoid big hits, and Zach Wilson does. And so I think his three best attributes as a quarterback are his accuracy, his decision-making, and then his ability to extend plays. I really, I can't say that enough. His accuracy, his decision-making, his mobility, they are a big deal that make him what I believe is going to be a first-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Now, I would say that Zach Wilson doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He's not a guy like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. But it's also really hard to find a way to criticize this guy. There's really not a lot you can criticize about his game. I think if arm strength is like, look, he throws a better ball than Gardner Minshew. He's got a more than good enough arm to play in the NFL. And so I don't know that criticizing his arm strength is enough, but I guess it is also worth saying he's not Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. His arm is not the biggest you've ever seen uh, from a college quarterback, but neither was Joe Burrow. So I don't think it really, he's got good enough and that's all that matters to me. And so I look, I think that Zach Wilson is going to be a first round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. 
Uh, and then I guess as you look around the NFL, people should just pray and hope and really, really be concerned that you really hope that Zach Wilson doesn't get paired with a guy like Sean Payton or Kyle Shanahan and Eric Bieniemy. And I kind of say that jokingly because the reality is if that happens, if Zach Wilson can somehow find a way onto the 49ers or work with Sean Payton or a coach like Eric Bieniemy, with an offensive coach who's competent and really, really good, Zach Wilson could absolutely be a home run in the NFL. And that's why I say other teams would probably hope, man, if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan or Cardinals fan or Rams fan in that division, the NFC West, you hope and pray Zach Wilson doesn't fall to the 49ers because Kyle Shanahan with Zach Wilson in his hands to mold and develop into a good quarterback. That's a really, really scary fit. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, a lot of people, 49ers fans especially, are very, very excited. Oh, Zach Wilson, let's go. Let's see. And I, I don't think Zach Wilson's going to fall that far because, unfortunately, teams like I think the Jets are going to want a quarterback. They'll probably have the number one pick and take Trevor Lawrence. Then you'll have Sam Darnold probably on the trading block. That's a team maybe that could get Sam Darnold as the 49ers. Um, then Jacksonville's probably going to take a quarterback. I think Washington's going to take a quarterback. I don't know how the San Francisco 49ers could possibly find a way to get Zach Wilson without trading up. Uh, another team that's been talking about Zach Wilson is Chicago Bears. I also don't think the Chicago Bears are going to have a high enough draft pick to get a quarterback like Zach Wilson. Um, now, I do think it's worth noting, I I've talked a lot about good stuff Zach Wilson is it doing. He's very, very competent. He's a really good quarterback. I think if you go look at the Houston tape, the Houston game was easily his worst game in 2020. Uh, he was actually losing 26 to 14 late in the, uh, I guess, late in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter. One of those two, like later in the game in the second half was losing uh, 26 to 14. But what's funny about that is I say like that's one of his worst games of the year. He still ended up having, I think, exactly 400 yards passing and four touchdowns. And then early on in that Houston game, he had a couple throws over the middle into traffic. Uh, he was lucky one wasn't picked off. And there were a couple times when I think you're forcing a throw. You're not being very patient. But despite the slow start and a couple of problems early on in that game, the, actually, it's funny. What be, was his worst game of the year? Houston was a game I went, I, I really am uncomfortable here. I, I, this is probably the worst film I've seen of Zach Wilson. What was interesting is as, as that game went on, I also learned that Zach Wilson can handle adversity which is important. I mean, you're not always going to have things go perfectly and exactly your way and be 100% and have a perfectly clean game. And so oddly enough, as I watched what was probably his worst game of the year, I felt incredibly encouraged because we saw, okay, hey, when things aren't exactly perfect, he can still fight through adversity and come back and keep swinging. And he actually came back from down two scores and then won the game 43-26. So for me, even though it was probably his worst game of the year, it actually was probably the most telling about who Zach Wilson is. It's easy to dominate when your team is better than everybody you play. But when you're in a moment where you're down two scores late in the second half and you got to fight back, um, that's very telling about a quarterback. Zach Wilson is the kind of guy who can do that. I love that complete moment. That was awesome. Now, I would say that I don't want to see Zach Wilson on the New York Giants or the New York Jets. I don't think he's a good fit on either team. Uh, I also don't think the swirling winds of that stadium, uh, MetLife Stadium, is really a good fit for uh, and a good match for Zach Wilson's arm talent. But I really believe that Zach Wilson absolutely is a first-round quarterback in the 2020, uh, 2021 upcoming NFL draft. He will likely be the third quarterback taken in the draft, uh, I think behind Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and then Zach Wilson. Now, again, I want to repeat something. I've seen a lot of 49er fans, a lot of Bears fans, they are very, very interested in Zach Wilson, and I don't think he's going to be on the board long enough to fall to a team like that. I'm calling my shot early. I think Zach Wilson's going to go off the board to a team like the Jaguars or the Washington uh, – they're not even the Redskins anymore – the Washington football team. I guess that's – is that even offensive to say? I apologize if I offended anybody. It's – yeah, whatever. The Washington team. Um, I don't think he falls that far. Washington, the Jaguars, the Jets, they're all going to pick quarterbacks – so I think three teams at the top of the draft are going to take a quarterback before a team like the Bears or the 49ers can scoop up and get Zach Wilson. So unless the 49ers trade up for Zach Wilson, they're not going to get him. But I got to say, oh my gosh, if somehow Kyle Shanahan can get his hands on Zach Wilson, 
Oh, that could be a really terrifying, really, really scary fit in the NFL. So uh, keep Ryan Zach Wilson. He's a really good quarterback at BYU. I, I think absolutely he's a first-round pick. He's really, really good. And I'm glad I did the work. I did a lot of – I probably I tried to condense all my film and do just some interesting-to-hear stuff, but I, I feel very, very good about Zach Wilson. He's absolutely a first-round quarterback. He's got really good habits. He plays really clean football. He's very accurate. He can extend plays. He's one of those new-wave quarterbacks who can move around – outside of the pocket and he doesn't necessarily run for a lot of yards but he runs to extend plays uh, from the pocket to the sideline keeping the play alive and I, I've really fallen in love with Zach Wilson the style of play is so much fun for me and so again absolutely Zach Wilson is a first round pick in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft all right guys um I want to stick with college football I guess this whole episode is about college football so of course I'm going to stick with college football I got really nerdy about this game. I probably, you know, so the recording of the game is like four hours long between USC and Arizona State. And I probably took eight hours to watch this game because of how much I was rewinding and pausing and going back and re-listening to stuff and re-watching plays. And uh, I don't have the game film for it. It's hard to get college football film for me. Uh, but I watched the the TV copy like, again, like eight hours. It took me, you know, I, I, I just have a whole eight hour work day. Then I go to bed for four hours and I wake up and work for eight more hours and I have eight hour blocks of working, then sleep and then eight hours of working again. And I took an entire eight hour period watching this game because of how much I kept watching and rewatching stuff. So I want to do a deep dive into USC, Arizona state. So in case you don't know on Saturday morning, USC beat Arizona state 28 to 27. And by the way, it was really fun. We got Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on the call. They are my favorite. Uh, they're my favorite duo of college football broadcasters. The energy was incredible, especially for it was 9 a.m. on the West Coast. They were just ready, fired up, ready to go. I love them. And uh, USC barely won this game. Like late in the game, oh my gosh, Arizona State had a six uh, had a 13-point lead with six minutes left to go. And I, I really thought USC was cake. I thought they were going to lose this game. It took two late touchdowns on fourth down for USC, plus an onside kick. Uh, the first touchdown for USC came on a, with or really with two minutes and 52 seconds left. It was a really good decision by USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. It was fourth and 13 for USC. Arizona State jumped off sides. Keaton threw a ball up in the back of the end zone. It got tipped up uh, to Brew McCoy for a USC touchdown. Bam, it was, uh, I believe, 21 to 27. And then USC got the onside kick, and I went, oh, my gosh, this could happen. And the drive goes on for USC, and it's going, and it's going. And then USC finds himself in a fourth and nine. And on a fourth and nine, Keaton Slovis throws a dime over the middle into a really tight window to Drake London. USC won win the game. Uh, they won the game 28-27 after that touchdown. And it was fun. It was interesting. It was exciting. But my biggest takeaway from this game is that both USC and Arizona State have, I think, significant problems on offense. I, a lot of you know things like dropped passes and protection issues and some schematic challenges based on how their offense is designed. And so for both Jaden Daniels and Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels at Arizona State and Keaton Slovis at USC, the struggles they're going to have in college, in my opinion, are going to be really, really good preparation for the NFL. Where in the NFL, you almost never have a clean pocket. And you deal with receivers dropping passes. You deal with throwing the ball in really tight windows. You have to be able to handle in-game adversity when your rookie receiver is not playing very well. Or, man, like your, your coach is frustrating you, this or that. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on during an NFL game. And these two young quarterbacks are going through things and learning lessons that will be incredibly valuable as they take the next step eventually someday to the NFL. But I want to dive in and specifically talk about the USC quarterback, Keaton Slovis. By the way, I love this guy. I think people don't realize how many small decisions he makes where he's either extending a play and he runs out of bounds for five yards instead of forcing it downfield, or he throws a pass away, or he checks down. I mean, the decision-making by Keaton Slovis I saw against Arizona State is unbelievable. I actually, last year and this year, when I watched Keaton Slovis, I kind of can't believe how young he is. He's only 19 years old. And I go, it's just amazing that he's that good at such a young age because the discipline it takes, the, the patience he shows is way beyond his years at 19 years old. 
But I got to say, I think the biggest challenge that Keaton Slovis is going to face all year is going to be his internal struggle between himself and his own head to be patient. Now, the good news is, in my opinion, that patience is actually probably one of Keaton's strengths as a quarterback. But it's going to be a battle still all year with himself trying to be patient, trying to hold back, trying to know when to take his shots downfield. Because all year, defenses are going to play soft zone against USC. Arizona State has a really, really good defensive coaching staff. And they laid out really a blueprint to slow down and to limit USC throwing the football. And so teams are going to force Keaton all year to check down, throw the ball underneath to, you know, they're going to drop guys into coverage and force Keaton Slovis to be patient and take his time. Um, Now, USC's offensive coordinator is a guy named Graham Harrell. He comes from North Texas. He actually played quarterback back in the day for uh, Mike Leach at Texas Tech. And so Graham Harrell's offense is an extension of the Mike Leach air raid system. And by the way, so is the Cardinals coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Now, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona has kind of evolved past Mike Leach, and he runs the ball really well, and he does a lot of different stuff, the way he attacks his own defense a little bit differently. Uh, And and I'm really, really curious whether or not Graham Harrell can do what Cliff Kingsbury has already done and evolve past Mike Leach. Because what I really want to see from USC is I want to see them find a better way to attack zone coverage because all year again Arizona State laid out the blueprint they're going to see zone coverage all year long and so USC's got to find a way to put defenders in conflict to really stretch the zone rules and make defenders wrong if there's a guy dropping in a zone have have people that I don't know how to put this in the right way other than to say that you got to have people that really really mess with the the rules of their defense and put defenders in conflict with levels and with stop routes, and with all kinds of systems that can really challenge a zone defense. And what I saw on Saturday against Arizona State is that USC didn't, they didn't really appear to have the scheme to do, make that happen and to do that. And so I, I really want to see that change and evolve with USC's offense from Graham Harrell and from the schematic play design. Now, I thought that in the first quarter and the third quarter and the fourth quarter, three out of the four quarters, on Saturday, Keaton Slovis was very, very patient. And it's really hard as a quarterback to toe the line between being aggressive and taking your shots downfield and then sometimes being able to hold back and know when not to take a shot downfield and when to be patient and let the game come to you. And in the second quarter, I thought that Keaton Slovis kind of slipped up a little bit where he had four plays that I, you know, as you, you have a chart of plays and you grade every play, these are plays that I would grade as bad plays, as negative plays. You give a plus or a minus, you would get a minus on these four plays. He had an underthrow. He had a dropped interception. He had a screen pass that I thought he forced. He probably should have thrown it in the dirt. And he had an actual interception. And honestly, I think all things considered, as you grade the, the way Keaton Slovis played at the end of the day, you go, man, to only have four bad plays all in one isolated quarter, I think, you know, especially in a 9 a.m. football game, you're 19 years old, the starting quarterback at USC, that's amazing. So I, I think Keaton Slovis, I'm going to talk about some stuff and get really a bit harsh, actually, going into some of the problems he had on Saturday. But I don't know that I, I want to kind of set the tone here. I don't want to just make it feel like I'm attacking the guy. I'm trying to be fair because I, 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 I love Keaton Slovis. He's my favorite quarterback in the Pac-12. I think it's only fair to talk about, kind of nitpick a little bit what he did wrong. And then we'll get into what I thought he did very, very well. Uh, but first, I want to say that his interception was probably the play that bothered me the least, actually, of his four mistakes. It was a throw into a tight window. There was a receiver on the hip of, uh, I guess, a defender with a, on the hip of his receiver. And uh, the linebacker just made a great play. He dove. He undercut the pass, picked it off. I really have not a big problem with that. It's a, it's a quarterback trying to be aggressive. He's got a guy who's technically open. And you have a linebacker diving, making a really good play. I think all things considered, that's one that I can say, well, it's just a great play. And hey, unfortunately, it's a minus, but whatever. Now, later, I, I couldn't remember if it was later or earlier at this point, but he had a throw where he underthrew Amon Ross St. Brown down the left sideline. Uh, it's nitpicky, but I want to see a better ball in that throw. He had a screen pass that was muddy and not really open. That's a play where you just, hey, throw it in the dirt. It's not there. Be patient. But again, later in the game, he had another very similar screen pass that wasn't open. He did throw it in the dirt. So there's no habit there. 
that's just a moment of, I think Keaton Slovis was like, man, we got to make a play. We got to make a play. And uh, I think he got a bit impatient. But again, later, he was patient. There's no problem there. He knows what he's doing. And I think on film, he would look at these plays and go, yeah, I need to be better on these three plays. Uh, now, the worst mistake in my mind, uh, I- I'm sure, again, he would agree with this in the film room. It was actually a ball that got caught by the tight end Drake London. Uh, it was a seam ball down the left, uh, left like hash mark. And I-, I just thought the ball needed to be driven more over the middle. He left it too far to the outside. It should have been intercepted. It actually was in a linebacker's hands for Arizona State. Got tipped through the re- defender's hands. And it was actually caught by Drake London. So weird play where it's a bad throw that should have been picked off. He didn't actually get punished for it. It actually was caught. But I don't really care about the end result. I care about the decision and the quarterback play. It's a bad ball that's got to be in a better location. And so, again, I'm intentionally nitpicking Keaton Slovis here. Uh, I love the guy. And I think it's important to acknowledge that he's not perfect because I'm going to make it sound like he is perfect, actually. I really, I think he's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. He's phenomenal. He's a brilliant young man who does a lot of stuff very, very well. Um, and I think fans have no idea just how disciplined Keaton Slovis is. It's kind of crazy. The offense around him made so many mistakes. They had three fumbles from different people that were not named Keaton Slovis. Uh, USA got stopped on fourth and one, not once, but twice. So that's five pl- uh, five times where... USC gave the ball to the other team that I thought had nothing to do with Keaton Slovis that were unfortunate and a lot of kind of symptoms of a lot of other problems at USC. And a lot of things went wrong for USC's offense just in general. The the zone coverage caused them a lot of problems. And I think what's really, really cool about Keaton Slovis is that, and I say this all the time, when things are going wrong or things are not going well for you, as a quarterback, what you never want to do is add to the problems that your team is dealing with. Keaton Slovis refused to do that. He refused to make the game-breaking mistake or the game-breaking fumble, interception, or this or that. There was no moment like that. Um, I thought he ran when he needed to. He checked down the ball when he needed to. He threw the ball away when nothing was open. The patience and discipline that Keaton Slovis showed on Saturday, that's really what kept USC in the game. I mean, he waited, he waited, he waited, and it's so hard for one, two, three, four quarters to be patient and wait for your moment to pounce. And then when USC needed him at the end of the game on a a fourth and 13, then a fourth and nine, bam, he made it happen. And it really came down to like, I think two minutes and 52 seconds left with, you know, in the fourth quarter, that's when USC finally scored their touchdown. They gave them a shot. They got the onside kick. They scored another touchdown with like a minute left. I don't know how excruciatingly difficult it was for Keaton Slovis to be patient, take his time, and wait and wait and wait and be patient. But I just want to tip my hat. It's so hard to do that. People have no idea. As a competitive person, you're just like, you want to make it happen. You want to bring your team back and force it. And I, I just kind of am astounded that the patience Keaton Slovis showed on Saturday to not force it, to not try to make that big play. Uh, I, I just, uh, well done. That's a really good game. And I thought that the patience Keaton showed, despite those four bad plays that I thought were nitpicky anyway, Keaton Slovis is the reason his team won that game. And I I think that's a great example of why he's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Now, I do feel bad for the Arizona State quarterback, Jaden Daniels, on Saturday. Uh, He threw a lot of good balls that should have been caught. He was... (sighs) Arizona State was really, really struggling with just catching the ball. They had so many drops. They got young receivers in the game that are, I think, very talented. They're, they're freshmen that are going to be good in a couple of years, but it's just going to take time for Arizona State. And I, I would repeat this, that again, Jaden Daniels is learning painful lessons. They're going to make him better in the NFL. How to? There was a great moment where his young receiver, a freshman, just a stud, he's really, really tall, was struggling, and he dropped the ball. And Jaden Daniels comes over to him, says, he pats him on the shoulder, says, hey, man, no worry, man. They're smiling. He daps him up and says, I'm sure something to the effect of, we need you. We are going to need you later in this game. Keep fighting. It's okay. We just got to keep going. Um, and I got to say, I love what Arizona State is doing as a program. Herm Edwards is building quite a program. Like, oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. Arizona State's recruiting pitch is that they're going to get you to the NFL. Oh yeah, by the way, they're also going to give you the tools and the skills and the coaching so that when you get to the NFL, you're going to stay in the NFL. 
And then ASU has an amazing coaching staff. It starts with Zach Hill, the offensive coordinator. He's also the quarterback coach. He's got a background at he went to he was a coach for a long time at Eastern Washington, uh, then at Boise State. Um, he's got roots at Eastern Washington that I really, really like. He's a great coach. And then Arizona State's co-defensive coordinators are Herm Edwards, or excuse me, Herm Edwards, the head coach. Excuse me. Marvin Lewis, a former NFL head coach of the Bengals, is the co-defensive coordinator. And you also have a former NFL linebacker, Antonio Pierce. Both of them, Antonio Pierce and Marvin Lewis, are former Super Bowl champions. It's kind of crazy to have that much NFL experience coaching for you in a college football game. It's ridiculous. It doesn't happen really ever. And so I got to say that if I was a parent, of a high school kid right now, my kid's a really good football player, and I'm on the West Coast, my kid is going to a Pac-12 school, my son would be playing football at Arizona State. Absolutely. So I am telling you, give ASU a year or two, because they are building a really, really good, really, really exciting program there. They've got a ton of talented freshmen. They are just dominating, actually, in Southern California recruiting. Uh, their running back, Chip Trainum is a guy really who should be at, at Ohio State, but they grabbed him from Ohio. Chip Trainum is a really talented freshman running back. He's a star, and uh, they're just building. they got a lot of really, really good talent at Arizona State, and they're building a very, very exciting program. Now, ASU's defense is very well coached. They are disciplined. Again, I, I can't say enough how much people are. They're building this really cool program uh, down there in Arizona, and Pretty much nobody coaching at ASU needs to be there either. That's going to, it's crazy. The cherry on top, I guess, when you look around and you realize like, oh, we have Herm Edwards, who was a coach in the NFL for a long time, then worked in television, made a lot of money. We have Herm Edwards, who was a longtime coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. We have Antonio Pierce, a Super Bowl champion who played for the Giants. He's made his money. Nobody there is there for the money. Nobody's there for any other reason than, hey, the guy is coaching at Arizona State. Love football. And I can't think of a better reason to want to be around a game and around a program than you're just there for the love of the game. And those are the kind of guys I'd want to be around if I was a high school kid looking at a college program. And so shout out to Arizona State. I can't say enough good things about their program, what they're building there. It's really, really cool. It's very, very exciting for me as a guy who I, I am just passionate and I love football tremendously. Uh, now, I got to say this about Arizona, about USC, actually. Arizona State had the ball with uh, a 13-point lead and the ball with six minutes left in the game. And the fact that USC won this game is kind of a miracle. I, I give all the credit, actually, to their quarterback, Keaton Slovis, and the onside kick. Uh, and it's just kind of amazing. USC did not deserve to win this game. I guess maybe a better way to put it, because I think they, they did, in the end, make enough plays to win. USC got lucky. They were lucky to win this game. And long-term... The USC football program's in trouble. I, I just don't feel very good about what they're doing. They're getting their butt kicked in recruiting by Arizona State in their home, in their own home area, Southern California. ASU in Arizona is kicking their butt in recruiting. And uh, I also got to say, once Keaton Slovis leaves, I don't know what the future of USC is. USC is going to be a kind of a lost program because what I saw on Saturday was that Keaton Slovis kind of saved their program. Without his decision-making, his patience, his ability to make plays when they need it, um, they're in trouble. And so when Keaton and Slovis, at some point in the next year or two years or maybe three years, whenever he leaves and goes to the NFL, USC is really going to be exposed for the problematic program that they are. So I feel good about USC. Excuse me. I feel very good about Arizona State moving forward. I feel great about Keaton Slovis. I like Jaden Daniels. And USC is a loser here. Of the four parties I've talked about here, USC is the one that's in trouble. I don't feel good about their future. Uh, and again, maybe I feel good about their future as long as Keaton Slovis is there as their starting quarterback. But whenever that day comes that he walks away and leaves the program for the NFL, oh boy. Uh, I, I think people have no idea the kind of the weight he's got on his shoulders, the way he's carrying that program, at least that he did on Saturday. And I, I'm really concerned about the USC program whenever that moment comes that Keaton Slovis leaves and they realize, oh, it wasn't the coach. It was always the quarterback. So, yeah, that's my two cents. I really wanted to dive deep into the USC-Arizona State game. I had a blast watching it, uh, and I, I hope you enjoyed my insight. Uh, and I, I just a really shout-out to Keaton Slovis, man. He's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. He's a great kid, and I feel really, really excited for him. 
and his future. And again, the hardship he's going through now at USC is going to make him a way better quarterback when someday he does get to the NFL. All right, guys, that's all I have for now. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Justin Fields. So coming up, I guess, we'll talk about Justin Fields. We'll talk about Notre Dame beating Clemson. And then later down the road, at the towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about how Maryland has completely turned around their program. It's kind of unbelievable. They just embarrassed Penn State. And then at the end of the show, I want to talk about the true freshman quarterback that you've never heard of that you should know about who... I'll tell you this. When I watched something on Saturday, I felt like I saw the beginning of something very, very special in college football. I'll save that for the end of the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm taking a short break. I will be right back. There are now Strong Opinion Sports sweatshirts for sale. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's also now a permanent Strong Opinion Sports store. And to celebrate the opening of the store, I'm starting it with a sale. Currently, there are four items for sale, a pullover hoodie, a zip-up hoodie, a performance t-shirt, and a premium cotton t-shirt. All four are for sale at a reduced price right now. If you order by December 1st, everything is cheaper, and everything is guaranteed to ship to you by Christmas. The pullover hoodie is $35 on sale. At the end of the month, when the sale ends, it will be $40. The zip-up hoodie is $40 now. When the sale ends, it will be $45. The performance style t-shirt, it's $25 now. After December 1st, it will be $30. And the premium cotton blend t-shirt is $20 on sale right now. And after the sale, it will be $25. Again, everything is on sale now until the end of November. And if you order by December 1st, I can guarantee you will get your stuff by Christmas. Follow the link in the description or go to shirtsforyourpeople.com and find the Strong Opinion Sports tab. All right, we are back. I hope you're doing very, very well. I started the show by talking about Zach Wilson, BYU's quarterback, who is, I believe, one of the quarterbacks who's going to get chosen in the first round of the upcoming 2021 NFL Draft. And I guess, I, I suppose the next two topics really have to do with the the other quarterbacks I believe are going to get chosen ahead of Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and then indirectly we'll talk about Trevor Lawrence as well in a moment. But uh, first, I guess we'll start talking about Ohio State. So in case you don't know, Ohio State's quarterback, Justin Fields, is truly off to an incredible start to the 2020 season. He just had another great game against Rutgers. He's now 3-0. and uh, Ohio State's now 3-0, and I guess, as a team. But here's something incredible. Through the first three games of the year in 2020, Justin Fields has 11 touchdown passes. He also has only 11 incompletions. He's thrown as many incomplete passes as he's thrown touchdowns. <laughs> I'm not a stats guy. I don't care about stats. You guys know that about me. That's unbelievable. It just That's an example of how dominant and how clean and how precise he's been. Uh, You know, Justin Fields said before the year started that he felt like he wasn't ready for his next game to be in the NFL. That's why part of why he fought so hard to get the Big Ten season back on to get Ohio State playing this year in 2020. And him saying that he wasn't ready for his next game to be in the NFL, I really, really respected. I felt like going into the year, Justin Fields still had some questions I wanted answered and I wanted him to improve and get a little bit better. And I got to say... This year, he has made considerable improvement. Every question I ever had, every little ounce of doubt I could have possibly had about Justin Fields has all been squished and completely erased and removed. And I, I, I really, man, I got to give him credit. He looks phenomenal. It's also pretty cool. Here's another stat that I think is interesting. Again, not a stats guy, don't care. But you look at the first three games, he's only rushed for 57 yards rushing on the entire season. And what that means is that a guy who, Justin Fields, is an incredibly gifted runner of the football. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in all of college football. Well, the fact that he's not running a lot shows that he really is winning with his arm. He's become a guy who is a, he always, I guess, was a throwing first quarterback. But really, he is winning with his arm. And I I just, I gotta say, man, he's navigating the pocket very, very well. He's making free rushers miss. He's using his ability to move and create throws downfield. Uh, Instead of running to run, 
He's running to extend plays and run from the pocket to the sideline. I don't really care about running downfield a lot in the NFL. If you're Lamar Jackson, that's amazing. It's unbelievable. But really, in 2020 as a quarterback, what's most important is can you run to the sideline? Can you extend a play outside of the pocket, keep it alive along the sideline, and throw the ball downfield? Justin Fields absolutely can do that. Um, and it's really fun to watch Justin Fields this year. He's just mastered what he's doing at Ohio State. He's dominating. He's in complete command. He's executing at a high level. It's also a weird note. A note I noticed this against Rutgers where he's under center a lot. I, I, no one talks about this, but Justin Fields is really comfortable and very confident playing under center, taking five-step drops, using play action, uh, running NFL-style you know, schematics. And that's really important because I, I think that no one t- – you see a lot of quarterbacks in college go to the NFL – they haven't been in shotgun, haven't been under center very much. They've only been in shotgun because in high school they were in shotgun and college they were in shotgun. A lot of the times you see guys go to the NFL and they've never really had to deal with a, se- a snap under center. Justin Fields is not that guy. It's also a weird thing is that I think he's going to go to the NFL and throw a better spiral because right now you see that the ball Ohio State chooses to play with is actually, it's really hard to throw. It's a weird thing no one talks about. Uh, the NFL ball is going to spin way easier off of Justin Fields' hands. Uh, I think he's going to throw a better spiral in the NFL, which is weird and nerdy, but no one no one really talks about how much better it is to throw the NFL ball. Oh, my gosh. It is way easier to spin uh, and throw a spiral with. Uh, I, I'm really curious, I guess, if Justin Fields can eventually supplant Trevor Lawrence as the eventual number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But I got to say, whatever team ends up with the number one overall pick, whether it's the Jets or Washington or the Jaguars or who knows, right? Whatever team ends up having that number one pick when the 2021 NFL draft comes around, they're going to have to at least have a conversation whether or not they're going to pick Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Justin Fields has elevated his play so much, and he's punched a hole through that wall and said, hey, I deserve to be in that conversation, and I— Oh my gosh, man. It's just a blast to watch Justin Fields. I I give him so much credit. Um, Just really, really cool. Now, personally, I hope we get to watch Ohio State play Clemson down the road in the college football playoff. I think Ohio State's going to whip through uh, their remaining opponents. Actually, I I believe their game against Maryland just got canceled because of COVID that Maryland has. Um, But I want to see an opportunity for Ohio State to get revenge against Clemson. Remember, Clemson knocked Ohio State out of the college football playoff last year. Uh, Justin Fields even had an ugly interception at the end of the game that's that's ingrained in my memory. And I think if Ohio State gets a rematch against Clemson, they're going to win that game. And it's going to feel like revenge. It's going to feel like vindication. And Clemson's defense is really struggling with the vertical passing game. That's one of Ohio State's strengths right now. And I, I just, my hat is off to Justin Fields. He's made himself a way better quarterback. He's mastered everything he's doing. And right now, head-to-head Ohio State versus Clemson, I would absolutely go with Ohio State. Even before they lost to Notre Dame, I've been concerned about Ohio, about Notre, about Clemson's defense. Excuse me. And I think Clemson right now, they would shred Clemson. See, Ohio State would shred Clemson in the passing game. And uh, I hope we get that matchup between Trevor Lawrence against Justin Fields at some point in the college football playoff. Oh, my Goodness, it would be amazing. I really, really hope we get to see that at some point down the road in college football. Now, let's talk about Clemson. On Saturday, Notre Dame beat Clemson 47-40 to in double overtime. So Notre Dame is now 7-0. Clemson is now 7-1. and And uh, I was really, really impressed with Notre Dame. And this feels like a signature win for... Notre Dame's head coach, Brian Kelly. I feel like Brian Kelly does not get enough respect that he deserves. I mean, he's won a ton at Notre Dame. He's been there, I think, over 10 years. I think he's been there like 11 years at Notre Dame. He recruits very, very well. His teams are always well coached. And it's funny, if you compare Brian Kelly right now at Notre Dame, compare them today. Brian Kelly against Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And you go, oh my gosh. Brian Kelly has been massively successful at Notre Dame. Meanwhile, this feels like it might be the last year at Michigan for Jim Harbaugh. You go, like, Jim Harbaugh 
is might be out of a job, <laughs> like in January. Oh my gosh, it's kind of weird and surprising. Brian Kelly does not get the credit he deserves for what he's done at Notre Dame. It's a hard program to win with. There's a lot of pressure in that. You know that if you're coaching for Notre Dame, they've got a gigantic fan base. There's a lot of eyeballs on that program. People there are very, very quick to say you're not very good. Get out. And uh, I think Brian Kelly, man, deserves a lot of credit and respect for what he's done at Notre Dame. I also got to say, I've got a lot of respect for the Notre Dame quarterback, Ian Book. I I really was impressed with the way he played against Clemson. Uh, This victory over Clemson is probably the best I've ever seen Ian Book play in college football. Uh, And look, I've never been very, very... I always look at college football from an NFL perspective. I really kind of get... Once I realize a guy is probably not a great NFL quarterback, I go, eh, I don't really care. Because the question I care about is, does your game translate to the NFL? And when I see a guy's game doesn't really translate to the NFL, I'll be honest, I just kind of stop paying attention. Because being a great college quarterback to me is not as interesting as being a great NFL quarterback. And I've never been very, very excited about Ian Book as an NFL prospect. And so for that reason, I've never really given him his shine. I've always said he's average. He's, I've just never given him the respect he deserves. And so I think as I want to say this as a college quarterback, he's a coach's dream. He works hard. He's disciplined. And here's what I really want to give a lot of credit to Ian book for. I think it, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to sound a lot like I'm taking a shot at him. That, that's not my intention here. Uh, Ian book did something. I was never able to do as a quarterback and Ian book has done something as a quarterback that, I think really most quarterbacks, like 99% of quarterbacks never ever do in their career is that I think he's maxed out. I think Ian Book has really gotten every single ounce of good football he possibly can get out of him. He really, I think, hit his ceiling. And that's, I think you're going to, it's going to sound like, hey, you're criticizing him. Because again, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback to some any degree. He's certainly not a franchise quarterback if you look at, Ian Book, from an NFL perspective, he's probably Case Keenum at best, right? But it feels like, again, the way that Ian Book extend, extends plays, he's making good decisions. He's playing very, very clean. He's had a dime uh, on a back shoulder ball down the left sideline against Clemson. Ian Book has done something that most quarterbacks in their lifetime never get to do, which is to play until they're really probably not going to get any better at all. I mean, I really, I think that he is maxed out and gotten the most potentially possibly can out of him. And I, I, I'm not trying to attack the guy. I think it's actually admirable. And I, I guess I, I didn't think about this too much before I said it. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being critical of the guy. He's not really an NFL quarterback in my opinion. But oh my gosh, he's dominated in college football. He's really maxed out everything he could possibly do. And I, I hope, look, it'd be how cool would it be if I'm totally wrong? And Ian Book goes to the NFL, he's the next Tom Brady, and people clip out this little segment and go, see, Zach, he became the guy. Like, I, Sure, like I, I'm, I'm okay with that. But to be a three-year starter at Notre Dame and to have never lost a home start, I, I just, I, I think that Ian Book, because he's not an NFL quarterback, people like me and a lot of people out there have just never been like, ah, we've never embraced Ian Book and given him the round of applause he deserves. Ian Book's had an incredible college career. He's a really, really phenomenal college quarterback. Um, and I think he's really, he's gotten everything he possibly could out of his college football career. And I, I just think that's admirable. I, I certainly didn't. And a lot of quarterbacks, even guys that play in the NFL often, they never reach their potential. Ian Book has done that. And I, I think that deserves a, a really lot of respect and a, to some degree, a round of applause from me and from a lot of the world to say, Ian Book, you did it, man. You worked incredibly hard. You made yourself into a really good quarterback. You started three years at Notre Dame, and um, you never lost a home start. That's just unbelievable to me. And so I think Notre Dame, this team this year in 2020, has a shot to get to the college football playoff. How cool would that be if Notre Dame can do that with Ian Book? And I I just, I got to say, like, well done, man. You've done very well. And uh, Ian Book deserves a lot of credit. He's probably not going to get a lot of it because he's probably not a franchise quarterback in the NFL. That's unfortunate. He's done a great job in college. So number one Clemson got beat by number four Notre Dame. And kind of the story of this game was that Clemson was missing their star quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. But it's interesting. I don't think Clemson really suffered much drop-off because they went to freshman quarterback DJ Uyunglele. 
And I, I oh my gosh, I am so excited about this kid. Um, Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney gave a quote where he basically said that DJ Uyunglele would start on most other D1 college football programs. He is not wrong. Like, oh my goodness. And again, if you haven't heard the name, here's how you say it. It's DJ Uyunglele. He's really impressed me in his two starts this year at Clemson. He started against Boston College, had a cool comeback victory over BC. And then in his second start ever, he's on the road at Notre Dame. He's down by 13 points in the second half, and he brought his team back and gave them the lead against Notre Dame on the road in the fourth quarter. Oh, my goodness. I, I hate to, like it's. I'm so pumped up. And I'm really sad that Clemson didn't win the game. But forget the win. DJ Uyangalele is uh, so exciting and so cool. And it's crazy that they're going to transition from Trevor Lawrence when he leaves to the NFL, I believe after this year. They're going to transition from that guy to DJ Uyangalele. Oh my, it's terrifying. And when I watch DJ, all I can see is he's going to become a more polished version of Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. He's really, he's already a star He's a huge kid. He's got a great arm. He sees the field very, very well. Uh, I just am excited for the future of DJ Uyunglele. And he's a, I just a guy. I, I like his dad. I think that, you know, Big Dave is really, really cool. It's exciting. If you've never heard of that guy, look up Big Dave, DJ Uyunglele's dad. It's so, like, it's just interesting and funny and cool. And uh, I don't know, man. I just, I loved what I got to see from him. Now, in the end, it felt like experience won out. Unfortunately, Clemson did lose the game. Uh, unfortunately, if you're Clemson, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're like, yeah, you're so excited. I'm not trying to pick a side here. Um, but Notre Dame scored second. Uh, I guess they scored first in double overtime. So Clemson got the ball. Uh, and during Clemson's possession, DJ took back-to-back sacks. Clemson found themselves in a unwinnable fourth and 24 situation. And in the end, it was a good win for Notre Dame. Credit to Brian Kelly. Credit to Ian Book. Uh, now, I really hope we get to see a rematch between... Notre Dame and Clemson in the ACC Conference Championship. Uh, and I, I just, I, I want to see Notre Dame play Clemson again. I'm, I think we will see that. And I'm very, very excited for what is to come uh, later down the road in the ACC between Notre Dame and Clemson. Now, I do have two more weird kind of, I guess they're, they're notes and things that kind of stood out to me from this game. Number one, Notre Dame fans, after beating the number one team in the nation, they stormed the field. And I think... Every year other than this year, I'd go, yeah, that's awesome. Like, oh, my gosh. This year was kind of weird. You know, during COVID, to have a, a bunch of people who haven't been COVID tested onto the field, I don't really, like, I don't think COVID is, I don't want to, I don't know what to say here, but I, I know that my biggest concern was, oh, my gosh, what if a player gets COVID and then it makes it harder to, because you got to go through COVID protocols. God forbid, what if Notre Dame or Clemson had one guy get sick in this game and it threw off their entire year, had a guy miss a game next week. That was my only real fear watching the moment was, oh, no, I hope nobody gets COVID. Like that, just you see a bunch of people. It's been a long time since I've seen a gigantic crowd of people. It's not that long. It's not, you know, I live in Portland, so you, you imagine I've seen a lot of people in tight groups in, in downtowns of cities. Um, now, I also got to say, I'm probably not supposed to say this. And I know that for me, this is not a statement about politics, but I was watching the game uh, Notre Dame and Clemson on NBC and, you know, I record games. I watch them way after the fact. I record. So I watch, the game was on Saturday. I watched the game on Sunday afternoon because I'm a weirdo and that's what I do. And it takes me a long time to get through stuff. You know, my, the USC-Arizona State game took me eight hours to watch because of how much rewinding and fast-forwarding I was doing and pausing and rewatching stuff and taking notes. Um, and midway through the game, NBC cut away from football to a Joe Biden speech. And I, I got nothing against Joe Biden. Like, whatever. Um, but I was watching the game to see football, not Joe Biden. And I, I was kind of annoyed, like, oh my, you know, in fact, because of the way I watch football is the next day on a Sunday, I had a hard time even finding footage of the moments and the minutes I lost. It was like, oh, dang it. And so it's a minor gripe, but I, I don't know if anybody else had that same problem I did where it was just like, really? Like I'm here for football and you know, I'm watching the president elect talk instead. Like I don't, I'm not a politics guy. I'm a football guy. And from a pure football standpoint, it was really, really annoying. Like, I, I don't care about Joe Biden. I want to watch football. And that's 
I don't care about either politician. I don't care about the sides. I'm not a politics guy. I'm a football guy. And from a football standpoint, I was just really annoyed. I was like, NBC, come on. You couldn't find a better solution than to cut away from the game I'm watching. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one. And as I'm saying it, I'm probably sounding like an idiot and tone deaf. And I got to say, it's probably, if we're going to cut away from a national gigantic college football game, probably the only thing you can cut away from is the, the leader of the American free world. Like, I, okay, fair enough. I get that. Um, but I, I don't know if I, am I alone? Was I the only person who was like, really? Like, we're going to cut away from football for a president? Like, I, I, I just, I'm not a politics guy and I wanted to watch football and I was just like, oh, really? So fast forward, wait, you know, I had to try, look on YouTube to try to find the moments of the game, like the, the 20 minutes of the game I, I missed out on. It was just annoying to me. And I wonder, I hope I'm not the only person who feels that way. Maybe I get articles written about me that hate me. It's not my, I'm not trying to crap on uh, anybody in, in, in politics. I just was like, guys, I want to watch football. All right. Um, I want to take a short break. When I return, I want to talk about Maryland because Maryland football has completely turned around their program. They embarrassed Penn State on Saturday. And uh, it's just, I've got exciting stuff, man. I really, as I look at Maryland, I go, oh my goodness, things are different now uh, in, in that area. And I just, I guess College Park is where their campus is located. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I think that's honest and true. Um, and then I saw something on Saturday. This is the other thing we're going to talk about the, at the end of the show. I saw something on Saturday that felt like to me, the beginning of something really, really special. I'm going to share that at the end of the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm taking a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, in case you don't know, this past weekend, Maryland beat Penn State 35-19. to So Maryland is now 2-1, and and Penn State is now 0-3 on the season. That's kind of, ooh, Penn State's in bad shape. Now, it was a rather convincing win by Maryland, but first I got to say this is really important. Uh, since the Maryland win, they have actually gotten a lot of, like I guess, an outbreak of COVID. And so the next game between Maryland and Ohio State has actually been canceled. It's really unfortunate. I've been really enjoying watching the progress Maryland has made this year. Um, but I want to start by talking about, I guess, just go back to the win Maryland had over Penn State. Because I want to ask you, when is the last time that Maryland looked better coached than Penn State or that they had better athletes or straight up a better quarterback. And it's really, really exciting because last weekend, Maryland and Penn State, Maryland was all those things. They were better coached. They had better athletes. They had a better quarterback straight up. And so, first of all, Talia Tungavaloa uh, is a big reason why this Maryland program is being elevated and turning around and uh, become a program I'm really, really excited to watch every single week. Uh, Talia is a really good athlete. He's very good at extending plays. He's in command. He's very, very comfortable as a quarterback. I just love watching the guy every single week. Uh, I love his story. I, I talked about in a, a past video about why I specifically root for Talia. But I love how the dude throws the ball. He's a good decision maker. He Again, he's good at extending plays and keeping plays alive. Uh, and Maryland is just a different program overall now than they have been in the past couple of years and in, in quite a long time. I mean, Maryland embarrassed Penn State. They were up 35-7 to early in the third quarter in this game. It was 28-7 at halftime. And so part of why Maryland is turning things around is their coach, Mike Loxley. It's Talia Tungavaloa. It's also they have two stud freshmen and, of course, a couple other really good freshmen. The recruiting has been very, very impressive. But two people, Rakeem, uh, Rakim Jarrett, Rakim, not Rakim, Rakim Jarrett, and a corner, Tarheeb uh, Still, so Rakim Jarrett had five catches for 144 yards, two touchdowns, and the guy had two long touchdowns where he caught a pass over the middle and just outran everybody down the left sideline. It was kind of crazy. Like He came from right to left, had two long touchdowns on very similar-looking plays across the middle of the field for a long run after the catch. And, uh, you know, before Mike Loxley was the head coach of Maryland, he was the offensive coordinator for Alabama. And then you also know, if you're a Maryland fan, you know that Talia Tungavaloa transferred from Alabama to Maryland. And Rakim Jarrett looks like a recruit that Mike Loxley might have stolen from Alabama. He's that talented. He's that good. Rakim Jarrett is a big play, speedy home run hitter. He had two plays where, again, he outran everybody down the field for a touchdown. He's a guy that I, I think if you're an NFL person, 
you put Rakim Jarrett on your radar and go, watch this kid grow at Maryland with Talia, uh, Talia Tungavaloa. Now, I also want to give a shout-out to Maryland. He kind of plays a nickel corner, meaning he's the corner that often covers guys in the slot. It's a, And I'm, I'm nervous about getting this name wrong. It's T-A-R-H-E-B-E-E-B. I'm going to call him Tareeb, Tarheeb, Tareeb, still. Uh, he's playing the nickel corner, covering slot receivers mostly. The dude had four tackles. He had two passes defended. He looks really good in coverage. Uh, he's only a freshman. He had, again, really good man coverage against Penn State. And as a, as a whole, I look at this Maryland team. Their offense is better. they got better athletes. They've got really good freshmen. Their defense looks really, really good. This whole Maryland program is a brand-new program making a resurgence and kind of turning things around. It's very exciting, and it starts with their quarterback, Talia Tungavaloa. He's awesome, and I, I really love watching him play every single week. Uh, get a bad game uh, to start the year, and then it's really turned things around since. And I think Talia, I honestly believe that the first game was some nerves and some um, some maybe some stuff going on with playing that first game. But ever since that first game and that bad start, he's really settled in and looked phenomenal the last two weeks for Maryland. Now, Penn State, uh, first of all, I really believe that Penn State's being held back by their quarterback, Sean Clifford. I have never been very impressed with Sean Clifford. Uh, the first time I really saw him play any meaningful amount of snaps was against Minnesota last year. Remember when Minnesota had this crazy upset win over Penn State? And I went, yeah, Sean Clifford is not the guy at Penn State. And I kind of can't believe he's still starting. I guess he's going to split time with a new quarterback moving forward. Uh, but when I heard that Sean Clifford threw 57 passes in this Maryland game, I cringed. I went, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Uh, he really struggles with accuracy. Sean Clifford misses receivers that are open constantly. Like he has guys open over the middle and he can't hit the throw or he's got guys open on the left or right sideline. He just misses with inaccuracy. And I go, how is Sean Clifford still the starting quarterback at Penn State? It kind of blows my mind. Every time I watch Penn State, I go, this guy still, it's not good. Uh, and you know, Sean Clifford's preparation kind of is to blame. I, I, I look at him and go, he's probably just a typical guy playing college football, enjoying the spoils of being a starting quarterback for a major D1 program. He doesn't look like he's very well prepared, and his attention to detail is awful. I hope that he would hear what I'm saying, not feel attacked, and say, yeah, I got to work on my preparation. I got to work on my attention to detail. Uh, he had three turnovers in this game. He was holding on the ball way too long. I, I just look at Sean Clifford and go, man, you don't have it. Uh, he's not an NFL quarterback of, to any degree, and his accuracy is just a problem. Now, Penn State also had, in my opinion, an early coaching error, an early coaching mistake where Penn State had the ball fourth and three at the seven-yard line going in. It's really, you know, if they get a first down, it's first and goal. And Penn State, on fourth and three on the seven-yard line, decided to go for it instead of kicking a field goal. And I was, you know, the broadcaster felt that was a bad mistake. I felt like it was a bad mistake. But why are you passing up an opportunity basically for three guaranteed points. And also, not, all, not only do you get three guaranteed points by kicking a field goal from the seven-yard line, you're also passing up guaranteed momentum. And ever since that moment, it felt like Penn State just fell apart as an offense and fell apart as a program in this game against Maryland. Now, I will say, Penn State's got a lot of problems. I am concerned. I, I think James Franklin keeps his job at Maryland. Give him another year. Get him a real quarterback. Let's see what he can do. Uh, he's done. I've really been impressed with him as a coach up until this year, and I'm looking at Penn State going, they're 0-3, but there is COVID, so I think he keeps his job based on it's a weird year with a crazy offseason, and you can chalk up all their success if you want to COVID. I have nothing but grace for James Franklin. He's been a really good coach up until this year in his career. Now, I got to say, though, you may want to write Penn State uh, off and say, I don't care about this program. But there's a guy you still got to pay attention to from an NFL perspective. His name is Jahan Dotson. He's absolutely an NFL receiver, in my opinion. He's got a, he had a catch against Ohio State, like a one-handed snag for a touchdown where he just reaches up with his right hand, grabs the ball in the goal line, pull, pulls it in. You're like, oh, my gosh, that's a crazy catch. He had another catch for a touchdown against Maryland. Uh, he's got great ball skills. He's a jump ball monster. He had another 100-yard game against Maryland. Jahan Dotson is the best player on the Penn State roster. And uh, despite all of Penn State's problems, Jahan Dotson has been a bright spot. If you're an NFL person who loves, you know, prospects and guys in the NFL draft, Jahan Dotson is the guy to pay attention to. He is absolutely 
a future NFL receiver. Now, I want to shift gears to something because as I watched college football on Saturday, I felt like I saw the beginning of something really, really cool. And there's a player out there that I'm really excited to keep watching as years go on and watch this guy grow and become a better quarterback. So there's a quarterback at Washington State that I think a lot of people don't know about that they should know about. His name is Jaden Delora. And uh, he's a, I guess he's the first true freshman to start a season opener in Washington State program history. Oh my, first of all, that's notable and interesting. Oh yeah, by the way, he had three touchdowns and played very, very well in the season opener at Oregon State on the road at Research Stadium. Now, he's not perfect. He's a true freshman. He had a couple mistakes. Um, but I, I really believe the future's bright for this guy, Jaden Delora. I love his skill set. He's got a, you know, he can move around. He can extend plays. He's got really good arm talent. He's got good timing. He throws an out route very, very well. He throws a great deep ball, like really well, you know, deep and good at a good location, vertically down the field along the sideline. You can tell his teammates like him and respect him. That's hard. He's a true freshman. He's a guy straight out of high school to come on campus and have the other people, the veterans that have been in the program for a long time, Jameer Calvin, people like him to go. They're you know, giving him knuckle bumps, and they really seem to have embraced this young, true freshman quarterback. You can tell his teammates can sense that he's got something special going on, and he's been very, very comfortable, at least week one, against Oregon State. He didn't have a slow start. He looked really, really comfortable from the get-go. And for him, I think that Jaden Delora is in a perfect offense for his skill set playing for Nick Rolovich uh, under, you know, under Nick Rolovich at Washington State. So I am telling you, you got to pay attention and learn the name Jaden Delora. Now, I do have some minor concerns about ball security. There's a couple times where he's running with the ball really exposed in one hand, like Michael Vick style. Um, he didn't have any fumbles against Oregon State, uh, but again, he holds the ball out in very risky positions that I go, that's a little bit nerve-wracking. But I, I'm telling you, give Jaden Delora a year or two because he is going to light up the Pac-12 as time goes on. Washington State is rebuilding for sure, but they have picked the perfect quarterback to build around. I'm very, very excited for the future of Jaden Delora. Now, I do need to admit that I think Jaden Delora has got the perfect mashup of different factors to make him exactly the kind of quarterback I would root for and really, really love. Uh, you may or may not know, I spent a lot of time at Washington State. I was there for two years. Uh, I worked on their sidelines. So I, I watched Gardner Minshew play live. I watched Luke Falk play live. It's fun to watch another guy wear that number four. Uh, I worked on the sidelines for Washington State, doing all kinds of stuff. Got, it was really close to their football program. have a lot of friends that still to this day play there. Um, and so I, I love that Jaden Delora is a Washington State quarterback. From my perspective, he's got that going for him. That kind of makes him the kind of guy I would already re- you know, pay attention and root for. But then I also admittedly have a really deep affinity for Hawaiians. I love Hawaiian culture. Uh, and th- my soft spot is kind of seeing guys from Hawaii succeed. I, lo- I love when that happens. Uh, and then also, admittedly, when I played college football, my group of guys, I was like the only white guy with all the Hawaiians. Uh, I was always hanging out with the guys from Hawaii. They were very welcoming to me. They were incredibly kind. I, I just loved the brotherhood they had, uh, and that was my crowd. So I, when I see a guy, Jaden Delora, a quarterback at Washington State from Hawaii, I go, it's the perfect set of things all coming together uh, to make me in love with the guy and really excited about his future anyway. Oh, yeah, by the way, my bias aside, he's incredibly talented. He's really exciting to watch. I love his play style. I love the way he runs around. I, everything about Jaden Delora screams, oh, my gosh, pay attention to this kid. And I, I, I'm just so excited for his future. And I got to say again, I felt like on Saturday I saw the beginning of something really, really special between Nick Rolovich and a Washington State program that is rebuilding and trying to get back to what they once were under Mike Leach a couple of years ago. And they got this young, true freshman quarterback, Jaden Delora. It's so exciting to me. And uh, I will say this coming weekend, Washington State plays University of Oregon. That's a tough game. Oregon's a good program. Uh, It's going to be a fun quarterback battle, though, between Tyler Show, a first-year starter at Oregon, and Jaden Delora. So I'll be watching. It's going to be fun. But I want to help people set their expectations accordingly because please remember— Washington State as a program is rebuilding. They got a new coach. 
They have a true freshman quarterback. They also have a tough schedule this year. Um, you know, their 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 five remaining games they play Stanford, and that's I think that's a win. They're going to win that game, but they also play Oregon, Cal, USC. That's a tough game, and University of Washington. So, if Washington State can find a way to go three and three this year, I think that would be a great season for them. That's a really good outcome with a new coach and a true freshman quarterback. But be patient with Washington State because I am telling you, this kid Jaden Delore, he's very talented. He's got this incredible energy, some swagger. Uh, he's confident. The people around him really like him. They really gravitate to to follow him and rally around him. And just Washington State, they're building something. They got a brand new coach. They got a true freshman quarterback. They're building for the future. And I'm telling you, the name you got to know, Jaden Delora is this true freshman quarterback at Washington State who. I think there's the beginning of something very, very special is going on at Washington State. Pay attention to him. He's a name that I think down the road is going to be lighting up the Pac-12. So Jaden Delora, uh, one of my new exciting quarterbacks. I'm excited to watch grow at Washington State. Pay attention to him. He's a great name. And uh, I guess I'm nothing else. I just, oh my gosh, I, I love the kid. It's so much fun. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you're having a fantastic day. I, uh, I'm... I guess I, I'm halfway through the NFL games I'm going to talk about on the next episode. I wanted to, this episode's about an hour long. I didn't want to clutter it with also having NFL stuff. So we'll talk about Tua tomorrow. We'll talk about the Raiders and the Chargers. We'll talk about uh, I, I, either either Friday morning or tomorrow. We'll talk about the Patriots and the Jets, whatever kind of nightmare that was. Also, by the way, the Saints destroyed the Buccaneers. I, I haven't watched that game yet. I want to figure out what happened there. Uh, there's good stuff ahead. I apologize. This took way longer than I thought. I just got, it's funny. Like, I feel like I did so much research for Zach Wilson and it ended up not making a very long segment, but that's how it goes sometimes. And uh, I just wanted to be very confident. If I'm going to make a statement, like Zach Wilson is a first round quarterback. I wanted to be confident to say enough to say that and have done my research. So uh, I love you. I appreciate it. That's all I have, but I'm bum. Bam. We are done.